Hey, well, good morning. How are we doing in 2024? I was not here last week. I was in a blizzard in Utah, and it was awesome. But man, I heard the sermon Jeremy gave. What a word. Wow. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Pastor Jeremy uh, gave a word on Sabbath. If you did not hear it, please download it, listen to it, listen to it again. And you really can't argue with his point. I mean, it was so powerful. The world, the whole, all of creation seems to be in a rhythm except for one piece of creation, and that would be us. We don't think we need boundaries. We don't need Sabbath. We don't need rhythm. And that is so not true. Uh, so it was a powerful word, and I was so blessed by that and heard, heard so many others were as well. But hey, I just wanted, before we jumped into our, our awesome new series we're gonna talk about, I wanted to say, wasn't Christmas Eve fun? How fun was Christmas Eve? If you enjoyed Christmas Eve, let's just, what a celebration that was. I just wanted to give some dear thanks to so many of you that just made that, that evening possible. We had our deacon team work uh, tirelessly weeks up to the event. People like Jason Shell pulling new wires in for our power. Uh, Jeff Scott came out and he built that stable thing for us. So many people, the worship team did so, Carolina and Jeremy once again, and then Ryan was on cello. Awesome, awesome, awesome. It was so good. I have some pictures I wanted to share. This one picture is from that first service. We have a, had about 650 chairs out. And it was standing room only, you guys. How cool was that in the new building to see it full like that? And then we have little Asher and he's seeing a donkey, I think, for the first time in the next picture. Look at that expression in his face. That was just awesome, right? So yes, and Chris is enjoying the camel as well. So yeah. So, I mean, it couldn't have been better. It was beautiful. And then the next morning, we had about 150 volunteers Christmas morning going to five locations and loving our city, bringing the hope of Jesus, the good news of Christmas morning to the rehab center down the road, which is a long-term care facility for folks that have had strokes or other you know, um, uh, situations in life where they, they really need this, this place. And we were able to minister there to different locations around our, our building here. It was powerful. I've heard of people praying with, I had pictures sent to, to this big group chat. We had praying with people, sharing Jesus, people receiving Christ on their doorstep on Christmas morning. Guys, I cannot think of a better way to spend Christmas morning than loving the city and bringing Jesus out. Because someone will come here, right? We need to bring Jesus out. That's another sermon, but come on. That's right, right? And so it was a powerful, powerful morning. And then a couple more things just to like celebrate. So Wednesday is the day I usually go over and just kind of visit people at the rehab center. And I got there on Wednesday and I got there around nine o'clock when I go and a couple of names were on the list ahead of me getting there. Uh, and I go, well, okay, maybe it's just a new year and not a lot of folks are gonna come today. By the time I was done, our church was crawling all over that place. We had people getting ready to sketch out the big mural for the Serve the City. We had folks in, in hospital rooms just praying for people. It was, guys, it's, it's just, I, I, I got emotional. It's the church loving the city and loving the people that maybe others are forgetting about and going into those places where I think Jesus himself would have gone and being the hands and feet of Jesus. It was awesome. And then Thursday, last thing I wanna say, Thursday was the kickoff of Alpha. We had 50 people show up for Alpha. Guys, and 10 responded that they're on a spiritual journey 
to learn about Jesus. And so I am just so thrilled. Sarah and her team have been done, done such a good job with Tyler putting Alpha on for our community. And I just want us to be in earnest prayer for the people that are experiencing the community of Jesus and the truth of Jesus in the Alpha program over the next uh, you know, two months. So that'll be a lot for our church. I just wanna say all that as we get started into 2024. This is an exciting moment in our church's story of God just impacting our hearts with the love that he has for the city as we get into the, the city around. Uh, but man, I just, I wanna kind of get into this new series entitled The Way. And this series is a really important series for our church because we were thinking as a team, like how do we wanna start 2024? Because how you start a year is really important. Like what are the thoughts that we wanna bring before our community to really think about? What is, what is it really um, just important for us as a, as a church to really just consider? And so I want to look at this, um, this I want to kick off this, this series called The Way. And I want to look at this passage of scripture that uh, is so familiar to people, uh, if you've been going to church at any time, that you might, you might say, well, I've already learned that or I've already heard of that. And you can dismiss it. And so I want to look at this one more time. But just like it's so often the case in a new year, Sometimes you can see things with a fresh set of eyes in the new year. Like, okay, let me just see this again. And I want to do that with John 14. This is a passage that um, might even rival John 3:16 if you know your Bible and you know this, the, the kind of the common text. But this is so powerful that I think we might even learn something new today in an old passage that might be familiar. Look what it says. John chapter 14, verse one, it says, "Don't let your hearts be troubled." Trust in God, trust also in me. Jesus is speaking. There are more than enough room or there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Hmm. And you know the way to where I'm going. So stop right there. So this is, again, for some of us have been coming to church that you've heard this maybe before, you've read this before. We're trying to look at it with some fresh eyes. And so Jesus is making this claim that he's leaving and, not, and, and he knows the disciples are troubled by this news. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You've believed in God, you believe also in me. We're gonna underline that in a minute. And then he's, he's, he's saying, when everything's ready, I'm gonna come and get you. Hey, that could be in 2024. Different sermon, but wow, right? Like when everything's ready, he's coming to get us, right? And then he says, so that you'll always be with me where I am and, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now at that moment, Thomas speaks up. And I love that when the, when the disciples speak up in, in the gospel stories, they always speak up and, and usually ask the same questions that you or I would ask, or at least I know I would ask if I were there. And so I'm so glad. It's like the kid in class where you're too embarrassed or shy to ask the teacher and they ask, you're like, oh, thank you. Because I wanted to know the same thing, right? Thomas says the same. He says what maybe is all of our question. And he says this, no, we don't, Lord. <laughs> I love that. We don't know. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And these questions always in scripture open up an opportunity for some profound truth. And here's the profound truth. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, 
Earlier, he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way. Guys, these are startling words. Again, we have probably heard these before, but I want to try to see them with, with fresh, a fresh set of eyes today. Jesus is saying something that is shocking. No religious teacher would have ever said this. Gandhi would have never said, I am the way. Buddha would have never said, I am the way. Muhammad would have never said, Moses would have never made these claims. These are not claims any human teacher, any human religious leader, any human, you know, father or, or mother of any movement would have ever said, these are shocking claims for anyone to say, I am the way. I am the way. Jesus is putting himself front and center. He is saying the path to God is a person. This is incredible. And I want to think about that for a second as we kind of unpack this series. What does that mean that Jesus is the way? What does that mean? And how do we maybe getting that wrong? How can I maybe get my mind around that central truth? Because this is a fundamental, this is a foundational claim of Christianity that the path is a person, that the pathway to God isn't a set of, a set of steps that gets, get us to enlightenment or get us into paradise or get us into heaven or whatever the afterlife. The path is actually a person. This is powerful. How are we to really understand that? I was, I, was, I was thinking through how would I kind of help us get our minds around that. And I, I, was, I was thinking about um, uh, relationships in my life. And obviously one of the most fundamental and, 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 and important relationships in my life is my relationship with Michelle, my wife. And, and I remember when I was going through the agony of like, am I going to pursue Michelle as my wife? And, and I'll tell you what, why this was so tough, because we were really good friends, in fact, I had known Michelle. Uh, she first kind of came into the valley and came to our church where we were attending uh, when she was 10 years old. And I'm two and a half years older than her. And I make sure it's clearly two and a half years older because there's part of the time where it sounds like I'm three years older. No, it's two and a half years older. Um, anyways, but I remember we were such good friends. We, we, we went to the same high school together. Um, she was part of the crew. We just, uh, I, I, I loved her personality. She was just so easy to hang out with. And she always laughed at my jokes, which is also a benefit. And so I just, I just loved her as a friend. But, it, you know, you, I was in this state, this stage of life where I was trying to think about what do I want to do in the future? And is this, is this the person I want to pursue? And what, what was really tripping me up was this question, like, could, could love, could love for a wife grow out of friendship? Right? Because the normal story, the normal, you know, kind of Hollywood script is you, you, you see this person and you kind of fall, you know, romantically in love with them and, and, and you can't really help it. And all of a sudden you're infatuated and, and it's just this crazy love story, which, you know, just leads right into, you know, that happily ever after. And, and I was thinking, wait, wait, I, I, I of course I really care about her and I, I enjoy her, but I, I didn't go through that normal first step of like falling into love. It was actually more of a decision. It was actually this, this, this kind of this decision that happened when I kind of some things collided in my life. And I remember one of the helpers, one of the helpers of that decision was Mike. And I remember having this conversation with, with Pastor Mike, and many of you know him. He pastored here until about a year and a half ago. He lives in Virginia outside of the will of God because he should, should still be here. But anyway, uh, I remember, I remember this conversation with, with Mike and he, and, cause he knew her well and she was a dear friend of his too. And, and he says, he says, you know, Brad, she's a really good woman. You'd never, ever have to worry about her. 
And there was more behind what he was saying, but that was enough. It was like, yeah, duh, right? It was like, that, right. And then, and then the other major like push there was all of a sudden there was another guy interested in Michelle. And so I'm like, wait a second here. Uh, if I'm going to make a move, I better make it right now because I might be missing my marriage. I might be missing my woman. And I'm like, ah, and this was a, a, an agonizing decision. And I remember eyes wide open, making the choice, I'm going to commit to her. I'm going to pursue her because that's what you're doing when you, when you decide to get married. You're not marrying an idea. You're not marrying some kind of like formula. You're marrying a person. You're committing to an actual person and you're letting somebody who actually has a will, actually has emotions, actually has, you know, desires and, and, and dreams. You're letting that person into your life, into your sphere of influence. And that is so similar to what it's like to, to meet and follow Jesus. You are not meeting some kind of guru that points to a path. You're not meeting some kind of teacher that gives you these wise sayings that help your life get better. Friend, you're meeting the person who is the path. You're meeting the person who lays down on a cross and gives up his life for yours and says, now you give up your life for mine. Are you with me here? That's what it is. The path is a person. It's not a formula. It's a friendship. That's what this is to follow Jesus. It's not a set of teachings that you follow that puts you on this journey. And I wanna, I wanna show you like how this plays out in scripture because I think, I think we see this early in the book of John. We see when these two disciples meet Jesus, you see how this invitation happens to follow him. And so um, in the book of John chapter one, if you have your Bible, we're gonna go there. It's, it's, this, um, it's, it's an encounter with Jesus I don't think we've ever taught on yet in the church, at least that I can remember. And it's, it's when Andrew the disciple and probably John himself beat Jesus for the first time. And I wanna set it up. So we're in John chapter one. And, and so to kind of give you the backstory in this, there's a a forerunner to Jesus. Many of you know who it is. It's John the Baptist. So don't get this. Uh, there's two Johns here. So let's not get them confused. You have John the Baptist who was commissioned and given an assignment by God to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus. And John the Baptist has been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been in the wilderness. And he's been baptizing people who come out to hear his message. He's a strange looking guy. He, he wears camel skins. Uh, he, wear, he eats locusts and honey. He's, he's, this, he's this kind of this ascetic figure who has these bold words and he's not afraid to say anything to anybody. He, he's got courage. He's got, he's got the anointing of the spirit on him and he's baptizing in the wilderness and he's, he's claiming that after him is coming someone who is so so much holier, so much more mighty that he's not even worthy of untying that person's shoes. And that person was Jesus. And so G John is out there preaching and he has some disciples that are going out to listen to him every day. And two of these disciples are Andrew and probably it's unnamed, but it's probably the, the, the author of our, of our gospel here, John. And they're listening to, to, to John the Baptist preach. And, and John said, one day John starts to talk about this lamb of God who's coming. In fact, he points and he says, there's the lamb of God who's gonna take away the sin of the world. Then a couple of verses later, a couple of days later, this happens. Verse 36, and Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, this is the second time, look, 
there is the lamb of God. This is the one he was talking about. This is the one his disciples were, were being prepared to listen for or look for. And in verse 37, it says, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. One of those two we know is Andrew. The other, I think, is John. And so, and so they, they start to follow Jesus. And I want you to see what happens next. This is in verse 38. So Jesus notices that they are following him as John, Jesus had kind of like passed through. And Jesus looked around and he saw them following. And he asked this question, what do you want? Now you could say that a few different ways, right? What do you want? Right? What do you want? Right? You could say that a few different ways. But I can imagine that's not how Jesus is saying it. I think he's noticed these two disciples who've been devout and following John the Baptist and now they're following him. And isn't it significant? It's the first words of Jesus in the gospel of John. It's the first thing Jesus says. And the first thing Jesus says in the gospel of John is actually a question. And he's asking the question, what do you want? So I want to ask you that question. What do you want? You know, what do you want is the kind of question that peels back some strata, doesn't it? If you think about it. What do I really want? We are, I loved the sermon last week, you know, we are unique among creation. We can have wants as creatures. I mean, I know animals have want, they want dinner, you know, what, you know, whatever, right? But we have these existential wants. We want more than dinner. We, we want more than a mate. We want peace, meaning. We, 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 we live with this, with these wants. In fact, all through the gospels, right? People come to Jesus with wants, with needs. They, they, for all kinds of reasons, people come to Jesus in the gospels. And sometimes what they need or what they want from Jesus is, is so, it's so, it's so loud. It's so, it's so, it's so piercing. They can't think of anything else because it's a child that's sick and they want their child healed. Or they're in a, uh, they're in a desperate situation where they, they just feel this demon presence in their life and they want deliverance. But there are others in the, in the encounters with Jesus that, that they want truth. They see Jesus as a religious leader and, they, and they're curious and they want answers to truth. They want answers to questions. They want to understand, like, we see the miracles that you perform. You have to be from God. So tell us, I have questions. What does this mean? What is, how do I inherit eternal life? What do you want? Why are you here the, this morning? What do you want from Jesus? Now, I think the American way isn't always the Jesus way. Sometimes the American way is I put myself in the center and I make everybody try to bend to my will. I'm the ultimate alpha consumer. I work hard so I can play hard. I've kept myself at the center. And when the American way meets the Jesus way, something has to give way. Are you hearing me this morning? Because we're not made to be the center. That seat is taken. And his name is Jesus. What do you want? When an American meets Jesus, it's easy to make Jesus work for him or her. I need you to make my life better. I need you to help me on my agenda. I need you to help me get that job. I need you to help me get that girl. I need you, right? Whatever. What do you want? It peels back the strata. And I think in this moment, Jesus turns to these disciples and he asks 
that question, what do you want? And I want to show you how they answer because it's so profound. It's probably Andrew and, and John, and they say, they say something really interesting. They say, Rabbi, which means teacher. Hit that next one for me, you guys. They say, Rabbi, um, where are you staying? You know, it's really interesting. They don't answer Jesus's question directly, right? They answer Jesus's question with a question, which is kind of funny because that's how Jesus does a lot of times. But, but what's really interesting is this answer really does reveal what they want. Because if, I, if you said to me, hey, Brad, what do, if, if, if I asked you, what do you want? And they said, hey, Brad, where are you staying? Then what you're really asking me, what you're really telling me is that you want more than just a quick, casual kind of like exchange here. You actually want to sit down and have a conversation, right? Hey, uh, what I want is going to take a minute. Where are you staying? And that's exactly what these disciples are saying to Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, where are you staying? Before we tell you what we want, we want to know where you're staying. This is their perfect response to that question. Because what Jesus is really interested in is this relationship with you and me. Yet sometimes Jesus knows that the things that are most screaming in our face is an immediate emergency need that we have. And so that is why we come to Jesus in the first place. And he's gracious and he's glad to meet us in those moments. But that's not where he wants us to stay. He wants us to sit down and have a conversation to know him. And so look what happens in the the next verse. This kind of shows, come and see, Jesus says. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And notice what it says. And there they remained with him the rest of the day. In the book of John, that word remain is a really important term. In fact, John will go back to that term remain over and over throughout the gospel of John. It's a term that, 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 that means to abide, to stay. In fact, this is what John will say is the goal of discipleship with Jesus. The goal of discipleship with Jesus, friend, is not to get what I need from Jesus and then go on my way. The goal of discipleship with Jesus is to remain with Jesus, is to be with Jesus. He didn't die to be Santa Claus, to hand out gifts and to keep you happy. Guys, he died to have a intimate abiding relationship with you. He wants to come into your life and stir it all up and shake it all up. He wants to be that powerful influence for good that says, hey, Brad, let's go on a journey of adventure together. Let's go. We've got a lot of work to do. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's go into the places where, where people are, are afraid of the light. Let's bring the light in there. Let's bring the love of God in there. Let's shine my love to the dark places. Let's, let's, let's walk this Jesus way in your marriage. Let's walk this Jesus way at work. Let's be together. Let's remain together, you and me. And in John 15, we read, It's only the branches that abide in the vine that are fruitful, right? It's only uh, those who remain in Christ. The same Greek word, abide and remain. It's only those who remain in Jesus. Guys, I'm saying it again. It's not a formula. It's a friendship. You with me this morning? It's not a path to heaven. It's a person. This is, this is what the entire series is about. It's this idea. And I, I want to look at one more example, one more of these encounters where a disciple meets Jesus and it just, it's this powerful moment where this disciple has to make this choice. Like, am I going to go forward in this relationship? Just like I had to make that choice. Like, am I going to make this decision to go forward in that relationship with Michelle or, or am I not? And this is a powerful, powerful, just 
Example, in, in Matthew chapter nine, we read about when Jesus meets Matthew, the tax collector. And again, I want to look at this from this fresh angle. It says, as Jesus went up from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. This week, Aaron and I, we were having this Bible study and we were talking about all the places where Jesus walks up to people and, and the, 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 the call, follow me, happened. We went through all of, or I should say Aaron went through all the places where you see Jesus call people, follow me. Now, isn't that interesting first? He says to follow me. He doesn't say follow Torah. He doesn't say follow this path. He says what? Follow me. But what I loved about my conversation with Aaron this week was it wasn't just follow me like after work or follow me when you have time. What's fascinating about this particular story is that this is in the middle of Matthew's workday. This is in the middle of, of Matthew's tax collecting. He's at the tax collector's booth when Jesus walks up to him. And we started to speculate, like, what does that actually mean? Because Jesus doesn't do anything haphazardly. Like, what is Jesus trying to say without maybe saying it? Like, if, if he walks up to Matthew before work and says, hey, Matthew, after work, I want you to come and see me. You know, that, that'd be one thing. Or, hey, Matthew, um, it's the weekend. Uh, yeah, man, Rome's a slave driver, right? Like, you know, I'm glad you're not working. Like, hey, can we have some time together, right? That's not, what, that's not what he does. Jesus doesn't care what time it is. Come on. Jesus doesn't care anything about, like, the sacrifices you made to keep, to keep your life at, on the top. Jesus might walk into the very thing that you've worshiped and said, listen, there's another king. He's just arrived. The question is, are you going to acknowledge me or not? I don't care what sacrifices you made, what deals you brokered, what you had to get or what you had to do to get to your position. And maybe for Matthew, his tax collecting kind of was his idol because he had to sacrifice a ton. He had to get moved from the faithful to the traitor column in the, in the Jewish kind of, you know, social class because now he's working with Rome. And so Jesus walks into Matthew in the middle of that job that he might have idolized. I don't know. I'm just guessing here. And he walks right in at that moment and he says, follow me. I'm more important than your job and what it promises. I've got something better. Come on. I've got something greater. I can, I can promise something far more than what Rome can give you. And I like how Luke, Luke captures the same story because Luke adds one more detail to it. After this, Jesus went out and saw the sex collector by the name of Matthew or Levi sitting at his booth Follow me, Jesus said to him, Levi or Matthew, same guy, got up and noticed this. Everyone read it with me. Left everything and followed him. You see, that's what a relationship with somebody does, a person. You see, let me explain this to you. The difference between a path and a person or the difference between a formula and a friendship is that you and I can kind of do the path. We can do the steps on our own terms, right? I, you could do these steps. If, if you follow a, you know, like a kind of like a, a self-help guide, you can say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing these steps. I'm going to do them on my terms. 
I'm in still in control. But for those that are married in here or those who have really close friendships, here's what you know. Uh, friendships and marriages aren't like that, right? When you actually are in a relationship with someone, you're not just in a sequential set of steps, right? You're actually in a situation where somebody else's wants and de desires, someone else's dreams and hopes have influence over you. And now you have a decision. Am I gonna submit to their wants? Am I gonna submit to what they want to do? And happy marriages know that both parties are doing that submitting. Is that, can I get an amen to that? See, when I meet Jesus, I don't meet someone who gives me a checklist. I meet somebody who gave, him, gave me himself. I met, I met somebody who didn't just say, Brad, follow these, these eightfold paths to enlightenment. He says, follow me. And when you follow Jesus, some days look really different than the other ones. Some days it's, hey, I want you to pick up your cross and I want you to follow me in this area of your life. I want you to practice some radical generosity here. I want you to, I want you to lay down your privileges there. I want, you to, I want you to pick up your cross in that situation. And instead of trying to get your own way, I want you to lay down your own way. Instead of taking, I want you to give. Instead of holding a grudge, I want you to forgive. The Jesus way, friends, listen, is always connected to the Jesus truth. In fact, in our text today, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so many times we want the truth of Jesus, but we don't want the way of Jesus. We want the good news of Jesus. We want to tell people the truth about Jesus but we are unwilling to live the way of Jesus. And that right there will never work because you can never separate the truth of Jesus from the way of Jesus. Just like you might have lots of good advice about marriage from someone who's not really married, but the truth of the matter is there's always gonna be a disconnect because it takes actually being in the relationship to understand the dynamics so here's my question this morning. Are you following a formula? Are you checking some boxes? Or are you feeding a friendship? Jesus didn't come to give us a path. He is the path. Paul puts it so eloquently, and I want this to hit you this morning as it hit me this week. Paul was a religious Jew. And he had followed the Torah and he was checking the boxes. It was a formula and Paul was good at keeping that formula. In fact, he said, I was better at keeping the formula than anyone else. And that caused self-righteousness to grow in Paul's heart. Because when you follow a formula, you can check the boxes and some of us are really good at that. And so we can kind of like, hey, I'm a better Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm someone who's really good at all of this stuff. And then one day, Paul met Jesus. He met the person and he realized he was on the wrong path. And here's what Paul says about himself. In Philippians chapter, chapter three, verse eight, he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. Sounds a lot like Matthew at that tax collector's booth, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, he says. 
through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Guys, can I tell you something? I think those of us who know Jesus already taste heaven. But those who don't know Jesus already taste hell. Because Jesus is both the path and the prize. He's the thing that saves me and the thing I'm saved to. He's the thing that your heart, your heart most wants. And you might not even know it. See, I wanna, I wanna talk to everyone here this morning, even those who are not religious. You're human and you were made, you were created. God made you and you're wired for connection. You're formed for a friendship with your creator. He himself has lived in creation, in, re, in relationship for eternity with the father and the son and the spirit for an eternity of communion with, with each other. And out of that communion, they created us in their image. We are made for relationship. And just like someone who knows they're, they're, they're supposed to eat something, might grab the wrong thing and try to get nourished from it, that's what humans do. We know we're made for more. We know we're made for this, this intimacy. We know, we're, we know we're formed for this relationship, but we look for love in all the wrong places. We're told by the American way, put yourself at the center. Make it about you and you'll find it. You'll find that dream. And Jesus says, what if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Or what do we give in exchange for your soul? You can't keep it you can give it. So if you give your life for my sake and the gospels, he said, you'll find it. Can I have you stand with me this morning? I think every person in this room could think about this one idea. And here it is. What do I want? I want you to ask yourself that question with your eyes closed, maybe your head's bowed in an attitude of reflection right now as we start a new year. What do I want? If you're a follower of Jesus and you know Jesus already, it doesn't mean you're immune to the temptations for our affections to get away from Jesus and onto the things we think will make us happy. And so Jesus' gentle words, what do you want? What do you want, Brad? If the answer truly isn't, I want you, Jesus, above everything else. Like Paul, everything else is a distant second to knowing you. Friends, it doesn't mean that you can't love your spouse and love your, your, your job and your kids, of course. But at the core of your being, you were made for this connection with Jesus. The path is a person. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, and you, you maybe you haven't been to church maybe ever, and you, you're here this morning and, you, and, you're, and you're hearing these set of claims, I wanna just, I wanna point you to one last thing that Jesus said, and it's what we started with. Jesus says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And I wanna ask you, what if that's true? What if Jesus isn't just blowing hot air? What if it's true? 
What if Jesus of Nazareth, the one that the world all knows his name, we celebrate at Christmas, we all understand that he changed this world. Can't deny that. What if he's actually true? What if what he said is actually correct? What will you do with Jesus? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, I wanna make it really clear every time we gather as a church, I always wanna make this super clear. Here is the good news of Jesus. Here it is. God loves you, number one, God loves you. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows all of your mistakes and all the things you're embarrassed about, all the shame in your life, and he still loves you and he's still pursuing after you. Number one, number two, Jesus gave his life so that you and the Father can be reconciled so that you don't have to run away in shame. You don't have to be embarrassed by what you've done. Jesus died on the cross to take away that shame and all that sin. And that if you trust in Jesus as your substitute, if you say, Jesus, please take my place. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. I, I receive your life into mine and I give my life to you. If you do that right now, right where you stand, you pray this prayer, God, I want you. I know I've done wrong and I receive Jesus. Come into my life, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I know I've done wrong. Forgive me, God. Thank you for your love for me that you demonstrated on the cross and you rose from the dead in victory. You are the truth. There's no one like you. I put my hope and I give you my allegiance. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you've, and you've never trusted Jesus today, I hope that today was the day you did that. Church, as we end today, here's where I wanna leave you. I want us as a church to ask this question. How will I feed my friendship with Jesus this week? How will I walk in union with Jesus this week? What decisions am I gonna make? What choices am I gonna make in 2024? How am I gonna be different? How am I gonna live differently being consciously aware that I'm a, I'm a friend of Jesus? I pray that that haunts you in a way all week long that you're always thinking about. Am I feeding my friendship? Come on, am I feeding my friendship with Jesus? It's not a box that I'm checking. It's a person I'm enjoying. Are you with me, church? That every day, I wanna enjoy you today, Jesus. And we're gonna talk about that for the next couple of weeks. What happens in this relationship? What do I need to address in it? But this is the start of it. Father, I pray that this church, in the mighty name of Jesus, can feed our friendship with you that we can set you first in our life. No other idols, no other rivals, nobody but Jesus. Everything else is second. All the important things in my life, they're important, but they're second. You're first, no other God before you, Jesus.